said that Bethlehem was a one-camel town, one of the thousands. But it was over the fields of Bethlehem that Rube the Moabite gleaned for heads of broken grain. And here in what Calvin Miller calls Nowheresville, Judah, David tended sheep and wrote poetry. And here it was that shepherds were startled that even they could get in the history books if the time was just right and they happened to be on the midnight shift watching the sheep. Then he says something absolutely amazing to think about. In the space of about a half an hour, Bethlehem would know more angels than Rome saw in thousand years of existence. John Piper talks about the significance of Bethlehem, and he points us to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verses 27 through 31, to help us understand just what was going on in Bethlehem. He said, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Let him who boasts, boasts in the Lord. So why Bethlehem? The easy answer is, well, that's the city of David, where David was born. The great king, the greatest king of Israel's history. But the text that we're going to be looking at today doesn't talk about Bethlehem being chosen because a great king was born there. No, not at all. The whole point is reflected in Paul's writing. This was one of the most insignificant towns in all of Israel. Um, We're told, scholars believe, that one of the reasons uh, that it is said about being such a small and insignificant clan is that they didn't even have enough men to muster up uh, help to go into battle when needed. It was a nothing place, totally insignificant without anything in it that would shine and bring attention. When we look at Bethlehem, we look at not the glory of man or the achievement of the human race or even the birthplace of a great king. When we look at Bethlehem, we see insignificance. We see something so small, no one would pay attention. Kind of similar to what happened when Philip approached his brother Nathaniel and said, hey, we've met the Messiah and he's come out of Nazareth, to which the future disciples said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Bethlehem was without hope. And the point was, God chose Bethlehem so that on that great day when this prophecy was fulfilled about the birth of the king, the angels would sing, glory to God in the highest. Not glory to the human race, 
not glory to their achievements. This is all about the glorious reality of our God. The blessings of salvation, the promise of Messiah, does not rest on the fact that we deserve it, that we should have it, that we could ever know it. The glory here is because this is God's work, what God is in fact doing. So we're going to take a look at the text that has given hope and life for centuries. Matthew, uh, Micah, excuse me, 5, verses 2 through the first part of verse 5. And I'm going to ask you to stand. As we look at this amazing passage, and I will remind you, this passage again comes in a prophetic book that is primarily focused on judgment. But here, what God had to say through Micah. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. This is absolutely amazing because the prophet of Micah is led to a promise of God that is powerful and amazing and wonderful. And folks, it is a promise of the shepherd king, a promise that God is going to raise someone up. Now, I will tell you, for centuries, Hebrew and Christian scholars alike recognize this is a messianic passage of Scripture. And the prophecy of the coming shepherd king, Micah said he's going to be born in Bethlehem. He's not even going to show up in the census-taking of the people of Judah. This insignificant little place. The shepherd king will come. And I believe with everything that is in me, our world today is in desperate need of a prophesied deliverer. Our world is in desperate need of God moving his hand and drawing people into his kingdom. It is absolutely crucial that we see this. But what does this prophet prophesied shepherd king mean to us? What is he bringing to those to whom he comes? We're going to take a look at several truths that will reveal the impact on this king, this shepherd king. And this is a wonderful passage of scripture uh, talking about a king whose origins are back in the earliest eons of time, maybe even before time began. He was prophesied to come. So let's take a look at what this hope means for you and me. The very first thing we're told here, there are three strong statements about Messiah here. The very first is the king will 
stand. The king will stand. Now, this isn't because he's standing up in honor. Uh, uh, if you're familiar with Handel's Messiah, one of the most beautiful pieces of work ever written, during the Hallelujah Chorus, the king was so moved by it, so invigorated by it, that he stood up to his feet as the song was being sung. And when that oratorio was sung, when they saw the king, everybody else stood up. And so it has been tradition for centuries in the public performance of the Messiah when the Hallelujah Chorus comes, we stand. But this isn't about the king standing up because he's impressed with his people. Not at all. And it isn't about, we need to understand this, Micah's prophecy meant more than the king was going to stand up. That's not just the idea. The meaning behind the word stand up becomes crucially important for us to understand this. It is a word that means standing up for the purpose of accomplishing something. Standing up because you're ready to do a task. Standing up to perform a feat. In other words, standing up to get ready to move. And what this passage is saying that the shepherd king, the king born in Bethlehem, would stand up for his people. He was going to stand up for Israel. And the idea here is pretty clear. He's going to stand up for his people to protect them. And the actions that he will take in Israel at that time, when he shows up and moves, he would defeat the enemies, he would bring them into wholeness, he would act on their behalf, he would take up their cause. And he would be able to do this in a beautiful poetic form because Micah said he was going to stand in the strength of the Lord. He was going to stand in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. He was going to reveal God Almighty to the people who are of Abraham's descent, standing up, ready to move on their behalf. And what that means for you and me, our King will stand with us in the face of any trial. This is important. The king is in our corner. The king stands for us. This king is on our side. Now, it's not because we're wonderful, great people. It's because he is the king. And he calls us his children. And he will be with us. And let's face it, there are a lot of enemies in this world when it comes to the kingdom of God. There are a lot of people who would be very happy if we disappeared. Uh, and there are a lot of people in our culture right now, it doesn't take long to, to spend time on the web to see them. There are a lot of people, they don't mind that we're in church here on Sunday. They don't mind that we're coming and singing songs. What they don't like is when we take our faith outside of this building and live it in the real world, challenging people to a new life. And so there are those who would try to destroy the message of the king. But with our king on our side, we have a promise. 
We can have victory over any trial that comes our way. One of my favorite verses in one of my favorite psalms that we will look at more in depth in a moment. Psalm 23, 4 declares, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Whatever comes, God, whatever I have to face, the darkest shadows that can fall over my life, you are with me, God. And therefore, I know that ultimately, I will make it through. Ultimately, you will see me to the place where I need to be. So today, I encourage you, I I challenge you to understand. As we trust in the promises of our King who stands, we can know victory. Victory in Jesus. I had a friend back in my seminary days uh, named Victor Lee. And Victor thought when he was a little boy, they were singing victory in Jesus. He was so excited because they were singing Victor Lee in Jesus. And he came to understand at one point in time, there became a moment when Victor Lee was in Jesus. Because of that, he would have strength. Even if the world does the the absolute worst thing it can do to us, Though it take our life, though it persecute us, the hand of our God will still be with us and he will not turn away. Hugh Latimer was a Protestant reformer in England at a time when being a Protestant reformer was dangerous. And he and his comrade in faith, Nicholas Ridley, were burned at the stake in Oxford, England. I shared with you some time ago that I actually stood at the spot they were burned, a cross in a cobblestone street in Oxford marks the place of their martyrdom. And just as they were about to have the flame put to the, the, bar, the pit, he looks at his friend and says, Play the man, Master Ridley. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England as I trust shall never be put out. Centuries before that, Tertullian, writing in the second century, uh, wrote to Roman authorities and said, you need to leave us alone. It was a defense of the Christian faith. And he was saying, "These are, all the lies you've heard about us are lies. And he explained who they were. And he comes to a point where he tells them, and you don't understand, the more you persecute us, the more you harm us, the stronger we will be. And he coined a phrase that has stood through the centuries. The blood of the martyrs is the seed for the church. And folks, I can show you historically over and again, in those places where the church has been under fire, in those places where people have tried to destroy it through persecution, when you would think that there would be no Christians left, in those places, the Christian faith is strong and vital. They may be, as in the first few centuries of Roman rule, they may be uh, in hiding as they do their work when they come together to worship, but they were living their lives and strong in their faith because God was with them. And if we didn't have just the idea of history, we have something that is even greater than history. 
in Revelation chapter 7, John is looking and there's a great multitude of people around the throne and they are all dressed in white. They're having palm branches and they're praising God Almighty and giving thanks to Him. And the elders, uh, the 24 elders are now joining in and all of heaven is joining in in this praise about God Almighty. And one of the elders turns to John and says, do you know who these men and the, these people in the white robes are? And he says, I don't know. You'll need to tell me. He tells them very powerfully. These are the, the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb is in the midst of the throne, will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Folks, the king is saying at that worst persecution of all history that he was still going to redeem and fulfill and restore his people. And that promise has been strong forever. Folks, remember this. When life is batting you down when life is trying to discourage you and dissuade you from all things godly, you, we need to remember the King will stand for us. The King is on our side. But there's more. Our second truth. The shepherd will provide. The shepherd will provide. God raising up a shepherd. You see, the, the writer, Micah, points out this truth. The promised one would tend the flock. Now, the use of the noun shepherd for ruler over a people uh, is found in the Bible often, but it's also found in the text of other Middle Eastern cultures. It was not an unusual image in the ancient world. But here, John doesn't use the noun form, shepherd. He uses the verbal form, and it literally means he will tend his flock. He'll take care of the flock. In other words, he's going to make a place for them to safely graze. It means that he's going to take care of every single need of the flock. The promised one would fulfill all of the deeds, his deeds on behalf of the flock, the people of God. Now I have to comment that the people of God as sheep has been a, a subject, a favorite image for preachers and teachers throughout the ages. And I must confess, at one time I was guilty of this. We talk about it's a good choice to use sheep as an image from human beings because sheep are dumb. I don't know if you've ever heard a preacher say that, but sheep are dumb. They're stupid animals. So God couldn't have picked a better animal to represent us because we human beings are not so terribly bright. 
And I know we have great inventions, we have great achievements in civilization, but we keep doing the same things over and over again. We keep making the same mistakes so we're not so bright. But I have recently read some studies that suggest sheep are not really dumb at all. So I got to get rid of that image. It's been found that sheep can actually recognize human faces. In other words, the sheep can recognize which man is the shepherd. Not only that, the Bible declares that the sheep understand the voices of the the shepherds. And there have been Bedouin shepherds that talked with Philip Keller in his great book, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23, and says, when, when you've got a mass of several flocks grazing together, I can call my sheep and they will hear me and come to me. So, maybe we ought to get rid of the image that sheep are dumb. Maybe we should stop that talk, because the kids could tell us it's not nice talk anyway. But, sheep are very dependent creatures. They are very defenseless. And the general consensus is this probably has become a reality because they have been domesticated for centuries upon century. And so they are totally dependent on the shepherd. And and if you're in a modern American-type setting, they're still dependent on those who take care of them. Because sheep are prone to wander, and it's not because they're, they're dumb. They just eat, and they don't pay attention and they can wander away from the shepherd, therefore putting themselves in danger. And so the shepherd will always keep a close watch. If you've ever gotten to see border collies herd sheep, uh, it's, it's amazing to watch animals trained to take care and shepherds trained to love. Robert Robinson wrote a very powerful hymn that we sing, Come Thou Fount of every blessing. And in that hymn, there's a moment of honest confession. When Robinson wrote, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Toward the last ends of his years of his life, Robinson did actually wander away from the Lord. And he had lost the, the the beauty and the connection and the love and the warmth that came in relationship with God. There are some anecdotal stories that suggest right at the end he made his way back, and I pray that that be true. But folks, all of us are prone to wander. All of us uh, are so easily distracted from what we need God to be in our lives, and so we need the shepherd. We need the shepherd, as Israel did. And that's the truth for us. This promised one who is going to take care and provide everything the flock had, our shepherd will supply whatever we need to live for him. Whatever we need to live for him. Now, undoubtedly, the image of shepherd became important for Israel because it's connected to David, the shepherd king, the little shepherd boy who would grow up and slay Goliath and become the greatest king in Israel's history. The poet. 
and probably in what is one of the best known, if not the best known, psalm within the book of Psalms, David wrote about the shepherd. Psalm 23. And I don't do this very often, but I'm going to ask you to stand, and that's not the only thing I'm going to ask you to stand as we take a look at this. As you stand, I want you to hear me. We learn things in many multiple ways. And today I'm asking you, as you stand, to read with me this psalm. I read with me out loud. I want you not only to hear my voice, I want you to hear the voices of the congregation. I want you to hear the move of the Spirit of the Lord as we share this together. And remain standing because we're going to take a look at a New Testament passage as well that I will want you to read for the same reason. So join with me. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen and amen. The Lord is our shepherd and will provide. But I want to bring you now to a New Testament that echoes the same truth without using the word shepherd. It's found in Peter's epistle. Second uh, Peter verses one, chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. And I want you again to read with me. And as we read, I want you to pay close attention to what he says about our God and King. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. May God bless reading of his word, and you can be seated. Did you hear both of these from the Old and the New Testament? God is declaring to his people, I will take care of you. I will give you what you need to survive and thrive in a world that is set against me. I am with you, and I will give you what you need. The great and precious promises of God Folks, that's one reason I'm glad we have kids learning the Word of God and putting it in their hearts. We need to do the same. The promises 
are many and beautiful and wonderful, and God is saying, I am with you. And so, for us, standing on the promises of our shepherd, we can know that his watch care will carry us through. I don't have to be afraid that God somehow doesn't care about me. I don't have to be afraid that he does not listen to me. We can rejoice as we trust ourselves into his hands for physical and spiritual help. The shepherd will provide, the king will stand in our final truth. The shepherd king will grant stability. The shepherd king will grant stability. This is crucially important. And keep in mind to whom Micah was writing, the people of Israel. And the promise declared that he, the shepherd king, would make his people safe. Israel began as a semi-nomadic people. They were Abraham's clan that left Mesopotamia and went all the way over to the land of Canaan. And Abraham was given a promise, your seed will own this whole land. And the, the book of Hebrews chapter 11 talks about Abraham and says that he was lurking for a continuing city whose builder and maker is God. And the writer of Hebrews says he never lived to see that promise fulfilled. The promise that Micah has given Israel has yet to be fulfilled. Israel did occupy Canaan for several hundred years. But it was never in complete security. When they marched into the land, uh, God told them, you need to take care of the Canaanites. They will destroy you if you're not careful. And they did not do what God told them. And so what do we have? The book of Judges, Canaanite clan after clan rising up against Israel. It's actually part of God's discipline. During the various reigns of the kingdom, there are only two that actually had extended periods of peace during their reign, David and Solomon. After that, all the other kings, there were always people coming against them. People like the Egyptians, the Syrians, the Assyrians. Babylon threatened the people. After Babylon came Persia. After Persia came Greece. After Greece came Rome. And all the way into today's world, the people of Israel have faced battle after battle after battle. They may be a sovereign state today, but they are fighting for their very lives. It has always been an issue. Our text will ultimately be fulfilled in the second advent of our Lord. And again, I can't tell you, I know people who think they've got it all mapped out, exactly what's going to happen. I think God's going to surprise us all. But God is telling his people to the true seed of Abraham, those who will embrace by God, God by faith, they will have shalom, they will have peace. Peace, safety, it means prosperity, it means intactness, it means being whole, it means uh, a focus on security, a sense of safety that comes. We know that God is with us, and so we will not be afraid. He will grant us peace. And God said, that's coming for you. And the shepherd will bring you to a place of stability where you will not be run off again. You will not be controlled again. You will not be defeated again. 
because the shepherd king will give stability. And for us today, that promise still rings true. The good news of our shepherd king grants us security in a chaotic world. And folks, if you don't believe our world is in chaos, I don't know where you've been hiding. Our world is a scary, frightening place. And in the midst of it, we can say we belong to the shepherd king. We belong to the one who can bring to us the security and strength we need. Now, when I talk about security, I, I do feel like I have to have a little, a little word of warning. Be careful in your use of the expression, once saved, always saved. I believe in the eternal security of God, uh, the believer. I do not like the phrase, once saved, always saved. Because most of the people I've heard use it in one form or fashion will ultimately find themselves uh, excusing their ungodly life. It's kind of like, once saved, always said, I said the right words when I was a kid. Therefore, I can do whatever I want to do. We need to understand something. Our safety in the Lord is not a license to sin. And God holds me in his hand, and I praise God for that. But that does not give me the, the right to walk around like an absolute maniac, giving myself over to whatever desire I have. The writer of Paul warned against this in, the, in Romans 6, when he said you've got to quit leading, yielding your body to the lusts of the flesh. They'll control you. He said instill, instead, Romans 6, 11, reckon ye yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive. God through Jesus Christ. You're dead. Leave it alone. But the promise that God holds us in the hand of His grace will not fail. And if anything, when I really realize what that means, I am secure in Jesus, Rather than saying, here, I can go out and party as hard as I want, nothing can happen to me. When I really understand it, my heart should be lifted to gratitude and praise and commitment. Jesus said in John 10, 28, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my That's a reason to live for him. That's a reason to trust. In the midst of all the world, we can know a degree of peace now, and one day we will know complete peace. When the shepherd finally brings all of this to an end, and we are ushered into the fullness of God's kingdom, the shepherd king tells us, you can find the wholeness you need in me. So trusting the promise of the shepherd king ensures us of finding our perfect peace. Christ told his disciples just shortly, hours before he died, that he was going to prepare a place for them. In my father's house are many mansions. I'm going to prepare a place. And if I prepare a place for you, 
I'm going to come back and get you. I have said for many, many, many years, and I will continue, folks, I don't care if my mansion is a shotgun shanty. It'll be in the kingdom of God before the Savior who died for me. The word promises is that we are going to be gathered together. Can you, you believe it? Think of the most astounding choir you have ever heard. And know it pales in comparison for what waits us. Because we are going to be gathered one day with all of the saints through all of the ages before the throne of God Almighty declaring His praises, His wonder, His majesty. I heard, I've heard people say, man, heaven's going to be boring. All you're going to do is be praising God. Folks, I cannot imagine being in front of the Lord God Almighty the creator of the heavens and the earth, the one that angels cry out, holy, 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 is the Lord of God. The whole earth is filled with his glory. How in the world would that ever be boring? Most beautiful sound we will ever hear. And so within these promises, I can go into a world of insecurity. I can walk into a world of chaos. And I can point others the one who can bring them peace. The one that can bring them hope. Now having looked at this, the promise of the shepherd king, that the king will stand with us, the shepherd will provide, and the shepherd king will give stability. I have one last question for you today. Why has God given the promise? Why did he make this promise? And I believe the answer to that, the why of the promise, is found in two truths. Two truths provide the answer. And the first, why did God give the promise of a shepherd king? The key is to be found in the concept of covenant. Our God is a covenant maker. And he's made them throughout the ages with Noah, with Abraham, with Moses, with Israel, and ultimately with us, the children of the new covenant, followers of Christ, his son. And when God says, I made a covenant, he fulfills it. Notice how many times, and we've looked at it throughout Advent, the people of Judah and Israel Failed God. But what does God keep coming back and saying? I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to restore you. I'm going to bring you home. I will keep my end of the covenant. And when we stumble and fall, and everybody in this room does, the God of the covenant says, I'll make you into what you can be. I will bring you home. This concept of covenant brings us to the other beautiful promise that answers why. Covenant love. There is a term. In Hebrew, it's chesed. It's term pronounced or translated steadfast love. 
It is pronounced and translated loving kindness. And there are a lot of different words for it. But the idea of steadfast love means that it is love unfailing. It is one of the most important terms in the Old Testament. It occurs over 200 times in the Old Testament. And most frequently, it's talking about God's God's end of the covenant. His promise given to his people. And it carries with it the idea that God is loyal to fulfill that promise. His love compels him. Not our goodness. It is his own love that compels him to reach out to us when we stumble, when we fall. I'm going to reach out. I'm going to bring you home. I'm going to call you to myself. I will restore you. I will make you into what you can be. So folks, whenever you sing O Little Town of Bethlehem, or whenever you think, you know, God really does use the insignificant things of this world to his glory and his honor, remember this. Karl Barth, one of the leading theologians of the 20th century, once once asked, what's the deepest biblical truth you have ever come across? And he responded, Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. In the moments of weakness and pain and sorrow and grief and doubt, Remind yourself, my shepherd, the good shepherd who laid down his life for his sheep, my shepherd loves me. Therefore, he will provide. He will stand. He will give me peace and stability my prayer today that we will come to a place to trust in the covenant, making God of love, even as John Wesley, the founder of Methodist, did uh, when he prayed. This is an updated version of his prayer, but I want you to listen to the beauty of it. A man who understood what it was to walk in covenant with God. I am no longer my own but yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be employed by you or laid aside for you. Exalted for you or brought low by you. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours. So be it. The covenant which I have made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen. Today, embrace the Messiah, born in Bethlehem, an insignificant spot on a map that saw the birth of the Christ and the hope of humanity all to the glory and honor of God.
For our Christ is the maker of the covenant of grace. And let's submit because in that covenant, he can make us what we ought to be. I ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. May today be a day of reckoning in our lives. When we, maybe for the first time in a long time, tell our God, I want to follow you completely. I don't want to play games. I want to receive the love you gave me at Calvary, and I want to shine it. And I want the strength and courage of knowing that no matter what happens, you are on my side. You'll provide what I need to make it, And one day you will bring me into my ultimate home and ultimate 